Father, we are your children, the sheep of your pastor, pasture. You have made us and not we ourselves. And so how can we help but to pray? How can we help but to praise and to give thanks? How can we help but be grateful to you for all that you have done? And I know, Lord, that our needs are sometimes overwhelming. I know that the things that life brings us and the attack of the enemy even and uh, circumstances and other people can be like a tsunami coming upon us. But I thank you, Lord, that when we compare ourselves to them, we're so small, weak, frail, vulnerable, and we're just doomed. But when we compare the tsunami that overwhelms us to you, you are bigger than that. You are above that, and you are the God who rescues, who delivers, who saves, who brings us through those times. And it also reminds us to think about heaven, that because a sinless Savior died, the wrath of God is satisfied, as the song says. And I thank you that because of that, Jesus has prepared a place for people who have been forgiven of their sins by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to heaven, we won't have any more of this to ever deal with, not ever again, not even a small thing. It'll all be over and there'll be nothing but unending joy and bliss and thankfulness and grace and wonderful relationships and fellowships as we are in the presence of God himself. So Lord, today would you allow some of that to splash over on us and our souls? Would you draw us to you? Would you show us your greatness and your power? And we want to come, Lord, to pray for our people and to pray for one another and ask, Lord, that you would bless, heal, strengthen, give hope, give comfort, provide a way, open doors, shut doors, and all of those things that you do so well. And, oh, Father, as we think about our Sunday school lesson this morning, at the end of the, Bab uh, end of the Babylonian Empire, it came when that was over by your hand. We pray for our own nation. And, Father, we ask that you would have mercy on us and spare us, redeem us, and reform us and bring a great awakening to our churches and to our people and may your name be exalted in the united states of america as well as in every other country on the earth because you deserve it and we pray you would do that for the glory of your name and for the well-being of your people that we might understand our blessings and share that blessings and share the joy that comes into our lives because of it thank you lord in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are making our way through this. We're in the uh, third chapter now. And I've entitled the message, So Much More. And you see some references there to uh, social media. And that's on purpose because our culture seems to be dominated by social media. In fact... The people that, we, uh, that like us and follow us, we call them our friends, and yet things are so incredibly superficial. And we're living in a time when people are depressed, when people are discouraged, when people are trapped in their sin, and all kinds of things go on, and we just really do need a friend. And I'll remind you, first of all, that because of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have a friendship with God himself that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then God, this God who is a relational God, not only saved us, but placed us into a family and we're a part of the body of Christ. 
The old song says, you may notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all shed a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. You know that song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king. No longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags under riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. For I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Is there an amen anywhere out there in your heart? To think about what God has done to be a part of His family. And yet we settle for the stuff on social media. We crave it. And yet there is so much more in Christ. Let's read our text together. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 10. Boy, this is a picture of genuine friendship and genuine fellowship in the Lord. Paul writes in uh, verses 1 through 10. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain or empty. But now that Timothy has come to us, from you, he came back, in other words, and brought good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast. In the Lord. And by the way, every parent feels that about their children and their grandchildren, right? Now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Well, that's how Paul felt toward them. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect or complete what is lacking in your faith. In other words, there were a lot of things that Thessalonians did not know and could not possibly know. They were new Christians. Paul was only able to stay with them a matter of weeks, and then he was driven out of town, and he's concerned about them. So as he was thinking about them and praying for them, it just was almost like an agony in his soul. So he said when we could bear it no longer, we let the... 
Uh, we stood here, stayed here in Athens alone, sent Timothy back, and he's brought us back a great report that you are doing well, better than expected, and uh, that you think fondly of us. The Judaizers who tried to destroy our reputation have had no effect. And oh man, that makes, makes us feel better. And we're comforted even in the midst of our own affliction. Boy, that's some... Good friendship. That's a real relationship. That is a real bond. That's the kind of thing that all of us are looking for. Social media promises all of that. And so many people are involved in it. But, oh, it just cannot deliver. Um, I was reading some articles about it. And found that a large majority on social media agree that people get to show different sides of themselves on social media that they cannot show offline you know when i read that i went somebody paid millions of dollars to study that and come to that conclusion i think we already knew that that was a well duh moment isn't it people think that when they're online they're anonymous and they're anything but anonymous they think that when they're online they can become keyboard warriors and slash and burn other people and destroy their reputations and all of that when in truth they're meek and mild and wimpy in person there are some people uh there was uh, a celebrity and uh, he cheated on his wife and his wife is so upset about that that she is going to divorce him and yet at the same time it was pointed out she regularly appears nude on social media as she flirts with people online but her response was well that was only online i would never do that in real life well that's common isn't it and that's what people do we act out on things thinking that we have friends that we have support and we think that people are going to be with us and carry us through our good times and Yet we find that they're jealous of us in our good times. And we think that when we weep that they're going to weep with us. And yet they don't. They make fun of us. And they are sometimes put off by us. And would maybe even attribute some things to, boy, they're crazy or some type of mental illness. And they would never say that in person and never do that in person. Because the whole thing is rather fake, isn't it? When we uh, read on on these things, roughly three-quarters think that people are less authentic and real on social media than they are offline. And all God's people said, well, duh. Right? You don't see the real person. You see the best. You see the highlight reel. You see all of those kind of things on there. And it's designed by the enemy to make you covetous, to make you jealous, to make you discontent and dissatisfied. Boy, I wish I could have what they have, go where they go, do what they do. I wish my relationship with my family was like theirs. Look, they're all smiling. And yet so often the opposite is true. It's uh, something that is presented that is fake. And... The desire to be liked by friends and peers extends to digital, quote-unquote, likes as well. Now, we look at that and we go, well, newsflash, of course, that's so silly. But you would be surprised what people do 
and how they put themselves out there in order to be an influencer. You ever heard that term? In order to gain likes, to gain followers, and they live for that. Some of them make money at all of that, and they spend sometimes 10, 12 hours a day on nothing but social media, working all of this, promoting all of this, and doing all of this, because in it they think that they find some type of significance. And yet at the same time, while we have more friends and more followers, and we have bigger influence than ever, Suicide rates and mental illness are going up and we have no answer for all of that except for, of course, conversion, transformation and the truth of the Word of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I also uh, read another article that said that social media has distorted friendships. Now there's no newsflash there. But then they wrote some things, and this is not a Christian perspective or anything at all. It's not even a professional. It's just an average person, uh, probably fairly young, that has observed these kind of things. And these are things that we all need to think about. said, number one, it creates a false sense of intimacy. You You think you know these people, and you think that they know you. It also fosters illusions of community. I'm a part of a group. And I've got a lot of followers. Boy, we're close and we're tight and we're in fellowship and we're in relationship with one another. It's not really true, is it? It keeps us from being fully known. You know, it's hard really to bear your soul or to get somebody else to bear their soul in a public forum like that. And so there's a lot of things that are faked. It also turns us inward. Even while I may be reading about somebody else, this person said, I'm thinking about myself, how I can respond so that I'll get the proper response and the right number of likes. It changes the way you converse. You type something out, then you go back and edit it. You type something out, then you delete it. Then you type something out, you change it, and you rephrase it, and you reword it, and you put it around so that everything is right. Don't look spiritual at me. You've done that turns us inward. It's more about us than it is the person. And it sets unrealistic expectations. And uh, that happens a lot of times for a lot of people. I should be them. I should be like them. I should be doing what they are doing. That should be me in that situation. There are a lot of people that go on Dating sites like Tinder and other places like that, thinking they're going to get an authentic, real relationship, only to find that person that they were interested in moved on to somebody else's profile. And they look at that and they go, that should have been me. They have taken my girl, my uh, man. They have stolen that from me. And all kinds of problems come up out of that. And uh, then they said this, it makes us good at storytelling but not good at story living. In other words, the story that we tell doesn't really match up with our life. The smile doesn't match our heart. Everything that we are going through is just not real compared to the way that we present ourselves. We're telling a story. Didn't your mom ever tell you, don't you tell me a story? And what did she mean by that? Something that's fake, something that's not true. 
And that's what this person means. We're good at storytelling, but not so good at story living. We've got advice for everybody else, and we tell them what to do and how we're going to be praying for them. And then when the same thing happens to us, we can't pull it off because we don't really take our own advice. And uh, they were many times just cliches and things like that. Well, the good news is that in Christ, there is so much more. This God who related to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship, who created angels and then had perfect fellowship with them. He was in need of absolutely nothing. And yet, as a relational God, he not only created the angels, but he created earth and the universe that we are in and created us. And he created us different than the animals we have a capacity to know God and to relate to God, to have a spirit that is alive and that is connected with him. And so our desire is to connect with other people, to be a part of a tribe, to be a part of a community, to be a part of a group, to be a part of an organization, to fit in and to be noticed and to be uh, thought of and to have significance and all of that. That all comes from the way that we are, were created. But unfortunately, that has been shattered by sin so that it is distorted, it is messed up, and it doesn't work the way that it always should. And so things are written like this in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians to remind us of the way that it should be and also to encourage us in the way that it could be. This is an amazing thing for Paul. So let's talk about this and let's kind of look at his relationship with the Thessalonians and we can learn and we can grow in and of ourselves in this day and age where we have lots of friends but we have very few people that really we have a close relationship with and yet that's what our soul craves. And so I want you to notice first of all that relationships require attention. You cannot ignore people and have a relationship with them. You cannot be indifferent toward people and have a relationship with them. You cannot be apathetic about them and have a relationship with them. And that's what we find here because Paul was anything but apathetic about all of this. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we, sought, we thought it good pardon me, to be left in Athens alone. So he's thinking of them and that thinking was a burden for them. He was really concerned about them and their well-being to the point that he would be inconvenienced. Now think about it. A lot of things on social media. I'll be there for you if I happen to be online. If I'm not at a ball game. If I'm not with my family. If I'm not at work. If I'm not doing something else. And uh, we all know what it's like when we send a text to somebody and they don't answer for a week. We know what it's like when we post on somebody's uh, Facebook profile or Instagram or something like that and they don't respond to it. And then we notice that they responded to somebody else later on. Why didn't they respond to me and all of this kind of stuff that comes up? Well, Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians was different. He wasn't burdened so much about himself, but he was burdened for him, uh, them. Now, did it affect him? Of course it did. But he did something about it, and he did something that was going to inconvenience him. 
He did something that would cause him to be left in Athens without these people that he traveled with, these people that he needed, and he was going to give that up and send Timothy to the Thessalonians to make sure that they were okay. And I'll tell you this, a good relationship and a relationship that has the possibility of being a deep, lasting, and godly friendship is one that you're willing to be inconvenienced for. You're not just what we call a fair-weather friend. You're one of those friends that you can be counted on, if possible, at any given time and in any given situation. And so few people have anyone like that, which is why we are going through this particular passage and we're looking at it. And so, secondly, notice that it not only requires attention. You've got to watch. You've got to pay attention. You've got to be aware of other people. You've got to be involved. You've got to have some type of feeling and caring for other people. So watch everybody that is around you. Number two, think about this. Relationships reach out to help. So Paul, when he thought about these people, you can look in verses 2 through 5. What did Paul do? He didn't just sit around and uh, go, Oh, I hope they're okay. And I hope they're okay. You think they're okay? Well, surely they're okay. I, I, bet I haven't heard anything, so they must be okay. Paul said, No, I'm going to do something. And you'll notice in these verses that are underneath that point, Paul did it so that it could satisfy his concern for them. But do you notice also that when he sent Timothy, it was also to build them up, to strengthen them, to help them, because he had had so little time with them. So why didn't Paul go back? Because if we went back, it would be same song, second verse. He would be recognized. It would cause all kinds of trouble. And the Jews in the synagogue would be upset. The city leaders would be upset. And all of that would happen. And what would be the result? The Thessalonian believers would be under more pressure, not less. So he sent Timothy because Timothy wouldn't be recognized. You know, the other day I heard somebody say, that uh, our president was speaking at the United Nations in New York City. And instead of, when he got through speaking, having dinner and then departing back for the airport after rush hour, he left during rush hour and basically shut the whole city of 8 million people down so he could get to his plane instead of waiting a little bit later. Wouldn't that be aggravating? If you're stuck on a bridge somewhere, you need to get home or you're trying to get to the hospital with a loved one. And because the president didn't want to be inconvenienced, you had to be stuck there when that was happening. That's the kind of thing to where that wasn't really helpful to all of the people who were in New York where they have all kinds of congestion and problems anyway. Well, Paul was not that kind of a person. Paul not only was doing this for himself, but he was doing this for them. He was reaching out to help. The old uh, phone commercial used to say, reach out and touch someone. That's what Paul is doing. He wasn't just thinking about it. He wasn't just feeling it. He wasn't just going, oh, I hope they're okay. He had to do something about it. And there's something about the way the earth has been created and that we are created and the way that life is, and that is this, everybody has needs. And if we can 
pay attention, which is point number one, and then point number two, as we are watching other people and noticing other things, we see what their need is. They may be lost and they need the gospel. And so we begin looking for ways that we can be an example to them and that we can have a conversation with them to tell them about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Or it may be a brother and sister in Christ. And you may notice by the comment that they make in Sunday school or at a Bible study or something that boy, there's something they don't really understand about a certain doctrine or a certain biblical principle. I wonder if I could spend some time with them and help shore them up, build them up, establish them, settle them in on all of this. I wonder if I could do that. There may be somebody else that you paid attention to them. It may be a neighbor. It may be a family member that you're estranged from. And your heart is telling you, this is not right. I need to get to know them. And yet they basically slam the door in your face, shut you out. They don't want anything to do with you. And so you begin to pray, dear Lord, create a need in their life that I can meet. And if it would please you, that only I could meet. Now that may be putting yourself out there, but nonetheless... Many times that works. And this person needs you. You're the only one that can help them get their car started or change a tire. You're the only one that can help them with something that's on the job or something like that. And so you pray for those kind of things because when there's a need, there's an opportunity to help. And Paul saw the need in the lives of these Thessalonians and he was concerned about that need. So he sent Timothy to make sure that they were okay and also to build them up and to strengthen them in their faith because he knew they were going through affliction. They were going through hard times. They were going through trials. They were being persecuted. And Paul, of course, knew that, which tells us something else as we consider this passage. Let your pain make you aware of other people's pain because you're not the only one going through it. See, Paul was being persecuted everywhere he went, but he realized as a mature believer, he was not the only one suffering, and that made him compassionate toward the others who were suffering as well. So find a need, reach out to help, and do something, even something inconvenient, like Paul did with Timothy, so that, and you'll notice it says, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And then he goes on to talk about how that suffering, as they would remember, had been taught by Paul, was going to happen to all of them. It says in the book of Acts, through tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. And that word tribulation is a word, the Greek word is thlipsis, and it literally means pressure, pressure. It's not always somebody taking a whip to your back or chaining you up and throwing you in prison or anything like that. Not always that. Sometimes it can be the small things, the little things <clears throat> that just put pressure on you, that distract you that, uh, you know, cause your whole attitude to change. And boy, that can happen very, very quickly. And so uh, Paul is teaching them even further and sending them an example in Timothy and checking on them. So find a need and meet it, we might say. Number three, relationships 
develop affection. You don't have affection without a relationship, but let's be honest, all relationships don't end up in a close, affectionate, warm, fuzzy feeling about somebody else. So not everybody that you pay attention to or everybody that you help is just going to love you and be there for you. Some of them are going to be rude and some of them are going to be insensitive and some of them are going to be ungrateful. That's the human condition. But there are going to be some that are going to really appreciate you. You see, when Paul wrote this, he said, We are so happy to find out that you are continuing in the faith. But did you notice He said, also to hear that you think about us, Timothy says, the way we think about you. Oh, it was mutual. They were together on this. It was not a one-sided thing. And that affection that Paul had for them and that they had for Paul, it grew out of their relationship. It was not forced. It was not required. It was not manufactured. It was not fake. It was not just good manners or anything like that, they really did care for one another. And that grew out of their relationship. So here you are, you're paying attention to the people that the Lord has put into your life, and you are finding some ways that you can help. You're feeding a a hungry person, you're helping a homeless person, you are supporting somebody who is in a rehab maybe, or maybe it doesn't go to that extreme. Maybe you just notice in church somebody that sets by themselves a lot and you go you know what I'm going to go set by them this next week you notice somebody that when everybody is kind of gathered in groups after church they just quickly leave you go well I'm going to leave my group and I'm going to go to them and I'm going to invite them to lunch or go out somewhere to eat with them or find out more about them or something like that we do all of those things we find out a way that we can help them and then sometimes the relationship begins to grow You probably got friends that are kind of unlikely friends. How'd you get together? How'd you become friends? Maybe even with your spouse. How did the two of you get together? Probably by this. You noticed, and then you got involved, and then affection grew out of that. And that's what happened exactly with the Thessalonian believers and the Apostle Paul. That's got to be something that has to be two-way. It's got to be something that comes from the heart. And it's got to be genuine or it really doesn't matter. So Paul said, you remember us in the same way that we remember and the way that we think of you. And we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And uh, we want people to stand in faith and in the gospel. We want to give good memories to people like Paul did to the Thessalonians and like the Thessalonians did to Paul. Not a bad taste in their mouth. And uh, they had a desire, you notice it comes up again and again, to see each other, to be together. There's something wrong with a Christian who doesn't want to be around other Christians. There's something wrong if we say we love God and we don't love the fellowship, we don't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's always linked together. And so we see that in Paul, but we also see that in the Thessalonian believers. Okay? Pay attention. God puts people in your life for a reason. Seek to help. Everybody has needs, and you can meet not all of the needs but some of those needs, and you can show love. And then out of that, it might be that a friendship, a, 
A godly affection is brought up between the two of you that is not forced. And it is not something that is manufactured or faked. But it is genuine. Which brings us to number four. Relationships impart joy. What happened when you got saved? You were joyful. Why is that? Because when you get in a right relationship with God, that is the best possible thing that could ever happen to you. And it has eternal ramifications, doesn't it? It's joyous. And this God who loves you, who called you, sought you, chose you, brought you to himself, gave you life, forgave all of your sins, also at the same time he gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Well, Paul speaks of his relationship with the Thessalonian believers and he uses that word joy. He puts it in a verb form and talks about rejoicing, but also joy. There was a joy in that relationship. I think relationships that are right are going to be joyous. They're happy. They lift you up. They bless you. But you know, I think so many times we get stuck on that. I don't feel the same way about you anymore. You know the interpretation of that is, you don't make me happy anymore. And after all, it's all about me. You're not giving me the buzz you once gave me. And after all, it's all about me. Now, we can't say that, but that's the implication. I go to a church and, boy, it's great, but it no longer gives me a buzz. I'm going to go look for something else. I'm going to look in a marriage for someone else. There's that person that used to make me happy. I'm going to find somebody like that or maybe even that person because you're not doing it for me anymore. So I want to be careful to say, notice that all of this was going both ways. Paul had given joy to the Thessalonian believers and they were giving joy to him. So what I would say is be a joy giver And a joy finder. Did you get that? A joy giver. I want to give joy to other people that are around me. And when I relate to them. Now we can always find reasons to complain. Reasons where friends and spouses and family members and children and parents and whatever. Where they're inadequate. Because that's all of us. We paint with a broad brush All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you and me and everybody. We're all inadequate somewhere. But when I choose to look at that person, and instead of finding the reason to be down, the reason to complain, but I find the reason for joy in it, I'm a joy giver and a joy finder. How good are you at finding joy? You know, you see people on the beach with these metal detectors. They're going all over the place. My goodness, how do they ever find anything? They're diligent at it, and they are searching for their treasure. What if God's children were as diligent about finding joy anywhere and in anything and in any person that we relate to, and our joy is in the Lord, and we would find ourselves strengthened because the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. Relationships don't just seek joy, but they impart joy, right? And that's what Paul was talking about. All the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Now consider that the fruit of the Spirit 
in Galatians 5.22, the second one listed is joy. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. It's also a gift from Jesus. In John chapter 15.11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is a person who is full of joy? They are joyful. That's what Jesus says I've given to you. And that's what our relationship with him and our relationship with other people ought to be. A joy-filled relationship as we give joy and find joy in other people. And it's also the result of knowing that people are walking in truth. This seems to be what Paul is really happy about. It reminds me of the Apostle, of the apostle John in 3 John 1.4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And by children, he doesn't mean little kids. He's talking about his spiritual children, that he has led to the Lord, that he has discipled. He is so happy to hear that they are continuing to walk in the truth. And then number five, relationships are strengthened by prayer. So that person that you want to have a relationship with, that you want to be friends with, I mean... In some ways, we never outgrow being a teenager, do we? We always want to be with the popular crowd, with the in crowd. And sometimes even in church, people will say, well, they're nothing but a bunch of snobs. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody in there is? Well, not everybody. Nobody spoke to you? Well, not nobody. But the important people didn't speak to me. You know what that's really saying? I want to be with the in crowd. I want to be with the popular crowd. I want to be with the... Uh, we don't say this in church much, but I want to be with the cool kids. And all these other losers may have spoken to me, but I want to be with the cool kids. You see, we don't change just a whole lot, do we? And we notice when the important people, the cool people, the in people don't have anything to do with us while there are lonely people seated all around us and we interact with lonely people all around us and we don't take advantage of that. And you know what we need to do? We need to be praying for both groups. There are people here today who are dying on the inside and they're smiling. You think they're okay. And if you saw their profile on Facebook or some, something else, you would like it and uh, just go on and go, oh, everything's cool with them. And yet they are dying and they may be on the brink and you don't even know it because you haven't really been following what we've been talking about here. And then there are other people that you were dying that they would ask you out to lunch after church or have you over to their house for a barbecue or something like that and it doesn't happen and you're so frustrated by all of that and you feel so left out you can't even hardly sing the songs or pray a prayer or endure a message with the saints of God that are gathered here because your focus is wrong for one thing and how do you correct that I think you do what Paul did you need to start praying for them pray for the snobs it'd be one way right and pray for the lonely, and pray for the hurting, and ask God to say, uh, to do this, take my pain and my loneliness, and use it to reach out to somebody else who feels just like I do, and use me to be a blessing to them. And Paul said the praying here that he had for the Thessalonians, it wasn't just a, you know, night and day praying, he said, not just a casual thing, exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. In other words, it was constant prayer. 
It was considerate prayer, thinking about their needs. It was companionship prayer. Lord, we want to see them. And it was also completing prayer because Paul knew that even if they did see them, it wouldn't do any good if they weren't built up in their faith. There's got to be a spiritual dimension to all of this. And so um, think about the gospel of Jesus and think about the way that it acted in our lives since we're talking about relationships have you ever thought about the fact that it's an amazing thing that we said in point number one pay attention you know God did that he gave us sinners rebels those who commit high treason those who are abominable to him and what did he do he gave us his attention before the foundation of the world even he was thinking of us and wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life how could you ask for anything better than that? Think about this. Jesus himself met our need. They pierced his hands with nails and his feet with nails. But worse than that, the wrath of God for your sin was poured out on him. And he's the only one who could have done that. Jesus saw a need and he met it so that he might enter into a relationship with us because we never could have established the relationship or had that relationship. Think about this. Affection develops out of relationship. And the Lord Jesus set his affection upon you and loved you, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> and in the book of Romans it says that uh, He loved us when we were enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a love. What a cost. What an amazing thing. Then when you think about the fact that Jesus, once we enter into relationship with Him, what does He do? He gives us joy. And we share that joy because it all comes from Jesus. And then what does He do? He's in heaven right now doing what Paul did for the Thessalonians. He's praying for us night and day. I mean, this whole outline and this whole picture of Paul and the Thessalonians is the picture of the gospel. That's what happens when we repent of our sins, put our full trust in Christ alone for our salvation and surrender to him as Lord. We enter into all of this. But just to remind you, Proverbs 18:24 says, <clears throat> "A man who has friends must find must himself be friendly." A man who has friends. So are you modeling this? This is not something you, <clears throat> excuse me, you wait for and you judge other people because they're not doing it to you. This is what you do for other people. So here's your homework. Ready for it? Pay attention to people the Lord brings in your life, wherever it may be. Find a need <clears throat> and meet it. Let affection develop authentically over time. It's not going to happen just because you, well, I helped them and they still don't like me. No, it's going to take time. Be patient. Be a joy giver and a joy finder. So many times we're seeking, that person's going to make me happy. This job will make me happy. This car will make me happy. This house will make me happy. No, be a joy giver. Pour it into somebody else's life and find joy in them. And then finally, 
be a faithful prayer warrior. Are you praying about this? Are you praying for other people? Are you more concerned about their needs being met than yours, like Christ did for you? And see, this is all what it is to be a Christian. We are in a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And now He is doing His work through us. Now, if this is the way God worked in my life and your life, why would we expect it to change whenever we are relating to somebody else that the Lord through us is going to do that? So here you are in your marriage. Are you paying attention? Are you meeting needs? Helping each other out? Do you let affection be genuine and flow from your heart? Do you find joy in that other person instead of all of the complaints and the problems? And do you even pray for them? And a lot of people that when you counsel with them and talk to them it's like once you get married you're divorced from the Christian life which leads to a divorce in the marriage no 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 you're a Christian in the marriage you relate to that person as a brother and sister in Christ and you treat them the way you're supposed to treat other people and so many times we find ourselves being much more kind with the uh, checker at Walmart than we are to the person that we've made vows to. And it just ought not be that way. Think about what it's like in the church. These are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Do you think that the way the Lord related to you changed whenever you have to relate to these losers that are all around you? Absolutely not, because you were the loser when the Lord came to you and when he found you. And now he finds joy in you and he actually prays for you. Why can't you return the favor to somebody else? And so today we end just by saying, if you're not in a relationship with God, then, you know, best of luck on everything else, right? You don't really have a hope. You don't really have a prayer. But if you would repent of your sins today and surrender to Jesus as Lord and trust in Him as the payment for your sins who was raised from the dead for you, then you can enter into a relationship with God. And that changes everything, literally. Everything. All things become new. And if you are a Christian, then look at your relationships and even look at some of your frustrations and maybe look at it in light of this outline and go, ah, that's where I'm missing it. Oh, that's where I need to strengthen things up. Because it's not really always about the other person as much as it is about you and the Lord working through you. Why does God bring these people in my life? Well, it may be because you have a lot of rough spots that he's working on. And as you learn that, and the sooner you learn that lesson then the better and the smoother things will get. Just a thought. Uh, not 100% because Paul had some rough relationships and he tended to do things right. Jesus had rough relationships and he always did everything right. But at the same time, let's not be our own worst enemy because we try to do things in the strength of the flesh and in the realm of the natural instead of the supernatural. And let's live for the glory of God. Can I get an amen on all that? Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that as we think about these types of things and we think about how often we settle for what the world has to offer instead of what you have to give us. We settle for the cheap imitation instead of for the genuine because we have our eyes on the wrong thing, we value the wrong things, 
and then we attempt things the wrong way. Forgive us. Help us to love one another in our families, in our church family, in our neighborhood, at work, and at school, wherever we are. And we pray that you would bless us in this because we are reminded today of what you have done for us. And like Paul, that should flow through us to other people. Bond us together and do it in your love and do it for your glory and also for our good and the good of the other person. And this we pray because we believe it to be lining up with your will. In Jesus' name, amen.